Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the Dark Material Podcast, where we cut through to the golden monkey, the puppeteer of evil monkey things. <laughs> Seamless. <laughs> no, <laughs> not an option. <laughs> this is why I don't ad-lib. Brian Fisher, yes, that's his official title. Um, some questions will be subtle. And some not so much. From burlesque to backpack bears, join us on this Q&A journey into the dark. I'm Ian. And I'm Amy. And this week we're talking to Brian Fisher, lead puppeteer and creature effects coordinator on the His Dark Materials TV adaptation. Well, that was super fucking interesting and fun. Yeah. Um, Love so, talking to HDM fans about HDM stuff. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So, so yeah, Brian, thank you so much. That was um, yes. really, really fun and interesting uh, and multifaceted and multilayered and all yeah. those things. And it's yeah. especially difficult because it's the Golden Monkey. As you'll hear, there's a balance that we try and strike between really wanting to just get Brian to empty his brain about <laughs> the deep backstory that they've created for the Golden Monkey and for Mrs. Coulter and also wanting it all to remain a mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so good. It's so good. It is so good. And it's still, it's just it's just so good that there's clearly so much thought that's gone into it. Yes. Which yeah. then shines through, but it shines through a cloud. Oh. Mm, bright, but opaque. Mm, impenetrable, <laughs> but loud. Mm. <laughs> nah, it was really good. Yeah, really, it was really, excellent. Really interesting. Um, I should say as well, we're kind of jumping headfirst in here because we're really excited and pumped about our chat. But um, Brian has worked on the series uh, not only as a creature effects coordinator, and we go into the varied role that that means Mm. for him on the series, but um, each of the main actors within the TV series were assigned a puppeteer for their demon, and Brian Fisher portrayed the golden monkey, the Mm. monkey bastard, the other half to Ruth Wilson's Mrs. Coulter. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we had a fair bit to talk about. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, again, a huge thank you to Brian for taking the time. Yeah. But 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 but, 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 but. as a bonus episode, yes. um, we want to give a shout out to our patrons. Yeah. And Amy, extra thank you. What the bloody fuck? What the bloody fuck? <laughs> we've got there's, we've got loads of new ones. Of like we've have to just stopped mo- doing bonus episodes for so many people to read out. Yeah. It's gonna, we'll have to do a bonus episode on the list it's not that long that's not, not, not that's not going to but also audience. we are yeah very very grateful extremely grateful like, like we've moved house recently uh work has been insane for we've not both had of internet us. for three we, months yeah we've had no internet we've we didn't have a working toilet for a good few weeks <laughs> hey it's been, fun. it's been fun um so i think particularly me i've been completely finger off the pulse with what's been happening and what a joy Genuinely, it's been such a, I, 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 yeah, in preparing for this, you can see I'm stumbling over my own words. In preparing for this episode, we obviously went back through the questions we've got and correspondence and then obviously to Patreon to see like who, who's in, who's in this club now, this sort of special club of patrons of the Dark Material podcast. And we've just doubled the list as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, it's, it's genuinely surprising surprising <laughs> yes like given the lack of professionalism in the whole podcast um but yeah humbling and thank you very much it's it, it means a hell of a lot to know that we're investing all the time doing this and that people are getting something from it because mm-hmm. yes particularly the last few months let's just say have been challenging to <laughs> actually 
get anything recorded yeah. without internet or bathrooms or heating or electricity in some cases. It's been, yeah. been fun. It's so been a bit touch and go. To the following people, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And for anyone else who's interested, um, you can find out more at www.patreon.com forward slash the Dark Material Podcast. So, without further ado, a ginormous thank you to Lani Lim, Shia Banshee, Annika Grabau, Milan, Girls Gone Cannon, JC, Will Simons, Edie Cheng, Lynn Yelsing, Rachel Laid, Ilzy, Double W, Joe, Ross, Mackenzie M, Stephen, T, and Rachel. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. As a quick reminder as well, we give 10% of whatever's donated to the World Land Trust, mm-hmm. generally climate changeness. Yeah. We've gone into it in more detail elsewhere. Great charity though, doing lots to conserve important ecosystems around the world that sink carbon, try and stabilise the atmosphere that's spiralling out of control, um, and do Gosh, our bit to... you're in a good mood, yeah. I, I know. <laughs> uh, do our bit to protect habitats, yes. um, creatures, and obviously the wider biosphere that keeps us all alive. Yeah. Can't have creature effects without creatures, can you? You can't. You can't. But you can affect those creatures. Oh, oh my god! Right. Oh, this is what happened when we don't plan. <laughs> uh, we just go on weird punning riffs. Great. Amazing. But anyway, uh, yes, thanks to everyone, regardless of Patreonage or otherwise, for sending in your questions. Yes. Um, it made the interview with Brian a lot richer and um, yeah. things that we wouldn't have, have thought of off, off our own bat. So, yes, thank you. And keep coming back to us if we have future interviews and you want to get involved with the people we're talking to. Yeah. And without further ado, let's seamlessly transition over to the interview with Brian Fisher. So we are really excited today to be speaking to the multi-talented Brian Fisher about his work on the BBC and HBO TV adaptation of his Dark Materials. So Brian is perhaps most well known as the voice and puppeteer behind The Golden Monkey, but his full role as lead puppeteer and creature effects coordinator on the show certainly covers a whole lot more than that. So we've got a lot of meaty stuff to talk about today. So as well as embodying that famous monkey, Brian also worked in lots of other rigs and puppetry work on the set, including puppeteering some parts of the bear fight and operating the Yorick riding rig, which was used to create the scenes when Lyra is riding Yorick. So mm-hmm. a hell of a lot of stuff. Talking of Yorick, uh, Brian features in what Joe Tamberg called his most uncomfortable day of filming uh, in season one, being stuck inside <laughs> a bear rig um, to mimic Yorick's breathing. In worlds outside his dark materials, Brian has taken his talents to many other screen and stage projects, including Detective Pikachu, Maleficent, Ma- Ma- Maleficent, Maleficent. Maleficent. <laughs> <laughs> I have tripped up on that so many times, even just trying to read it through, Mistress of Evil, and CBB's Moon and Me, and more. So yeah, Brian, thanks for joining us, and welcome to the Dark Material Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. <laughs> yeah, well, we're very excited to talk to you about your work. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We've had a lot of questions from our listeners for you, not least about, about your role as the monkey, who everyone loves to hate and hates to love. But before any of that, before any of that exciting stuff, I think the best place for us to start is 
with your background with the books um, because I think I read or heard somewhere that you had initially contacted the TV series team about being involved in the series so were, were you already a book fan when you heard about the production? I wasn't actually it's not that I wasn't a fan I just wasn't mm-hmm. very aware of the stories I don't ah. know if that's because it wasn't very popular in the south because I'm from North Carolina originally over in the states mm-hmm. and I don't know why it wasn't really in my realm of books it's it's exactly the kind of story that I love when I you know when I was growing up I loved stories like um Dino- this is when I was young mm-hmm. Dinotopia and the Young Merlin series by T.A. Barron and yes, uh, yeah. you know all of those kind of magic fantasy people trying to find their way through the world I don't understand how it wasn't in my library basically but it it wasn't <laughs> so mm-hmm. I when I moved over I kind of heard people this is in 2009 mm-hmm big culture shock, lots of things to learn. And that's when I sort of started to hear people talking about this story. And I was like, I I don't know what this is. And everyone talked about it like it was just something that you should know. You know, it was it was as well known (laughs) as as Harry Potter or something else. And and I didn't really know it. So I started to research it and I was like, wow, how have I not known this? And then there were plays and I had I have multiple friends that were in early adaptations on stage. Cool. Yes. Yeah, including um, my partner played. She played um, Stel Maria. So, oh, wow. um, yeah. So you know, it really kind of has been with me since I moved over here. And then she's the one that put me on to the fact that there was a possible TV show coming out. That's when I read the ah. books. That's when I said, "This is fantastic," and also, this has a lot of creatures in it that. I think would be a lot of fun to be involved with. So I started reaching out to them. This is early days of me being over here doing puppetry. Mm -hmm. And I reached out and didn't get very far. And and that's kind of when things sort of kicked off was me not knowing anything about it and trying and not hearing anything. Then later, I, well, we can go into that later if you want, or I can talk about that right now if if it's a good segue. You mean in terms (laughs) of your involvement on the series? Yeah, yeah. Let's leave it there for now. Basically, (laughs) I was really interested I had reached out. I know now that my name did get thrown around a bit. And so I was known about, yeah. but there wasn't space for me at the time. It was a small department to begin with. So yeah. okay. that was that was where the journey ended for then. Interesting. <laughs> or is it when it began? <laughs> I mean, I was trying really hard to be a, a good interviewer and listen to what you were saying. But honestly, when you said that your partner was Stel Maria, I, I just, my mind was blown because that just seems like fate for me that you should play Highly the monkey. Highly auspicious, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. It's... It, does is does that say something about her and I? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking speaking about um, oh, demons, yes. there is the absolutely obligatory question yes. of any guest or anyone who comes within a thousand miles of this podcast. To be fair, <laughs> do you know what your demon would be? Is it perhaps a tiny puppet human? <laughs> That, now that would be interesting, wouldn't it? A little tiny, <laughs> well, maybe a Galthespian, who knows? But, mm. um, <laughs> ooh, he's done his research. You've read future books. So obviously this question comes up a lot, and I, I've been asked it a number of times, and I, I kind of answer it slightly differently every time. Mm-hmm. But I think I want to be as true as I can be and say I, I honestly don't know. And I, I kind of have an answer that I've gravitated towards and I and I tend to tell people now, <clears throat> which changed over time, but I think that's it's it's kind of 
true now. I, I've done the online tests and I, I didn't really connect with them. You know, they felt mm-hmm. very, um, they're, they're a bit of fun, but they're a jumping off point, if anything. Mm-hmm. And I've spoken to other people and, and they can't really put their finger on it, which leads me to the idea that maybe I'm from, let's say, Will's world and I don't have an external demon. Um, it's just something that this, I, I don't know how people imagine I, I sound when I'm talking about these things, but obviously I'm very invested in the stories now. Yeah, and, yeah, um, <laughs> be, yeah be, being not just a character, but also all of these different demons and trying to help everyone build this world, I really feel a part of it. And that's mm-hmm. why it, it was so interesting when I thought, maybe maybe it's because I don't have an external representation. You know, I, I don't know. There's a mighty fine answer there, that's Brian. A really that's, good a, answer. that's good, rather than just plucking like, goldfish out of the air. I quite, I quite like that. That's, uh, well, there, yeah. are some, there are some really fun ones. One, one, of, uh, one of the people on our team, his, uh, I think he said his would be a tapeworm. So that would always be weird, <laughs> but never bothering anyone. <laughs> 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 that is an unexpected answer. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a microcosm, of course, but I think uh, doing a podcast about his dark materials, my mum does often tell me, like, at the end of the day, Amy, it is just a book series. I'm like, no, mum, it's not a book series. <laughs> it's, but it's not. I mean, and that's the thing, is that any any story that gets written and told and read, is yes. it's not just a story anymore. It is. It is... It truly is real. I mean, that's the incredible mm. thing about everything that we do in the creative industry and mm. why it's, I mean, let's just talk about the times, why it's a shame that it's struggling so much because those mm. those things that we do together, that we imagine and we put ourselves into, they are real. They are totally real because we mm. believe yeah. them or at least we identify with them and we see something within them. And that's why we love them so much because they are real within ourselves absolutely and you learn you learn something about yourself by engaging with new material i think having done this podcast now for what are we over a year now Amy? because these books in particular are so complicated and there's all sorts of moral dilemmas and different characters with major flaws but in even trying to figure out what's your position on all this stuff you learn quite a lot about you yeah and it it shifts constantly as well the more you speak Mm. to people about it, it it shifts you know somebody will come up with something you haven't even considered and it's like oh wow yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, and I think that maybe leads us on to a question that we had from Wilson's Romance on Twitter, actually, because they were interested in in some of that aspect that I think you are so heavily involved with the magic of puppetry and the magic of telling a story through puppetry, and they wanted to know, well, how did you decide that you wanted to become a puppeteer, and what was that process like for you? Well, I have a I have a very eclectic background I, you know the, the phrase that everyone says is jack of all trades master of none well mm-hmm. I, you know I, I don't really mind that because i'm constantly searching for new things and uh, trying to learn new things and if something catches my fancy then i learn as much about it as i can until i don't mm-hmm. want to anymore and you know that's kind of how i've always done it so my background to get where I am now would make no sense to anyone. I mean, I'm talking, I started in music. That was an incredibly important part of my life for Mm. 10, 15 years. Um, I mean, still is, but uh, that's Mm -hmm. really what I started doing that at a very high level. Then that became chorus. Then that became musicals. Mm -hmm. In a musical in high school, I remember sitting backstage and going, I just, I, I, I literally started crying backstage and somebody was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, 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 it's fine. It's just, I kind of had a light bulb moment that, I was looking at the audience and they weren't looking at me. They were looking at what I was doing and mm. who I was playing. And it, it just it set something off inside mm. of me that really excited me. Um, mm. So I, I knew I wanted to be performing and telling stories. And I knew I was good at it and that I really enjoyed connecting with people. So 
that became acting. Acting brought me over to Scotland at RSAMD, that well, what was the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, now the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. Mm-hmm. So I pretty seriously pursued acting. Mm-hmm. During drama school, I met a lot of incredible movement performers from uh, the Lecoq School and different mime and clown backgrounds. And, and I started to really connect with movement and telling mm-hmm. stories through my body and externalizing these stories and using mask work, which then mm. people, it neutralizes you. You, the yeah. person, are no longer important. It's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that became really interesting. Long story short, I got kicked out of the country by Theresa May okay. for visa reasons. Um, yeah. okay. she, she got rid of the post-study visa, so I had to leave within mm-hmm. two months of graduating. Uh. Um, and that was very hard for me because I mm. really wanted to pursue acting over here. Well, I went over to the States, started doing really strange productions, did every kind of weird thing I could find. I was doing burlesque. I was mm-hmm. doing cabaret performances. I was when I was doing my burlesque, they called me a rock and roll clown. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and uh, I met uh, a bearded lady, and she took me into a troupe, and uh, we had an incredible time. And then I started making my own stories, and a puppet evolved out of that. And this puppet really, really, really made people happy, and <laughs> I realized that. I was actually really good at this. And this is Mm. kind of what I've been looking for. It's the movement, it's the performance, it's the attention to detail and the weird anal retentive specificity and movement. You know, every little little breath that you could create Mm -hmm. became important. Long story short, I moved back over here and decided, right, for 12 months, I am going to push as hard as I can into puppetry and just see what happens. And within that time, a lot of incredible things happened. I met a lot of really, really wonderful people who helped a lot and accepted me into the community. And then I just kept trying to open doors and they kept opening. So mm. I just kind of realized, oh, this is kind of it. This is yeah. this is not only incredible for me, but other people really are connecting to what I'm doing as well. So I know that's a long story to get there, but... Um, oh, it's a beautiful story, I think. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's just... Yeah. There are lots of threads. Yeah. Threads that tie together. Yeah, it's and that's the incredible thing, is that now, as a creature effects coordinator, you know, create, creating these fantastical beasts and everything else, and, tr- and mm-hmm. just on a mundane, trying to figure out, right, how can I have, let's say... Right, I'm really trying not to give spoilers. How can <laughs> I, uh, let's say, how can I make a, a PVC pipe, mm-hmm. some batting some fabric Mm -hmm. look like a bear and make it breathe. How can I do that? And all of these little things come into it. You know, the musicality, the rhythm, Mm. the understanding of how other people move and the respect for other performers, the performance side of things, listening to Joe do his lines and actually trying to respond directly to his words with his ass directly in my face. Um, (laughs) I mean, those things are so important and they came from all of those, those little seeds that I've, just followed, basically. Yeah, that's fascinating. Wow. And pati- particularly the point of almost removing the actor from the subject on stage. You know, when you're talking about masks yeah, and mask work, I think that's a really interesting aspect, I guess, of puppetry that I hadn't thought of at all, that it's the, that the puppet is almost the star, obviously. You, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. There's, there's mm. a philosophy that, there's kind of three schools of philosophy, but essentially it boils down to 
you have to respect the puppet. And for me, the puppet is alive and I am helping the puppet move. Basically mm. I am giving it the life, but it is alive. It, and the second that I put my hands on it and I begin to, it, it wakens up essentially. It awake, it wakens, it wokes, it's, it's woke. It is awakened. <laughs> <laughs> it comes to we life. Know what basically. You mean, yes. Yeah. And, and that is, that is such a lovely thing to see as well. Whenever people yeah. see the puppets, they're, they're pretty simple puppets. I mean, mm-hmm. mm. You look at them on the table and they just look like a, a pile of materials. Mm. But the second you put your hands on them, all of a sudden people go, oh, there it is. You know, and it's and that and it's true. It is taking the me, me, Brian, out mm-hmm. of it. And at the same time, 100 percent putting myself into it. So that's what's lovely is seeing through the puppet's eyes. Yeah, that's a very humble way of putting it. But I can guarantee if I got my hands on that. <laughs> bundle of materials i don't think it would come to life Brian. Oh, I, don't <laughs> I don't know i don't, I don't know think. give me give me a little bit of time with you and i bet i bet you you would feel it too i bet you'd feel it okay well yeah, yeah that's something to experiment with i think in future but yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting as well um one, one of the next questions i have and this is again just from a bit of uh stalking you through the interwebs but um my understanding <laughs> is that you kind of got involved with the series in a relatively short amount of time um so maybe going back to what you said about how you got involved with this product uh, what, could, could you talk us through how, how you got onboarded and how quickly you had to find your feet with this new puppet and the role of the golden monkey? Yeah, absolutely. Basically, as you said, we were out looking for a new house, which we didn't end up getting. Mm. Oh, oh and, sorry to hear that. No, no, that's all right. We, we, it's, you know, that was a decision. <laughs> we were out at a park, though. We had just been looking at a flat and we, you know, we liked it and everything. And I got a phone call from my agent, um, Rachel mm-hmm. Breeze, by the way. I'm just going to give her a shout out. Second Skin Agency. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> Hi, Rachel. She's going to hate me. She's going to be like, Brian, no, let's not do that. <laughs> um, no, she's incredible. I got a call from her and she said, um, yeah, I, I've just got a phone call. Uh, production wants you to go in for a meeting. I was like, okay, great. That sounds really good. She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's um, His Dark Materials. And I was like, oh, fantastic. That's really good <laughs> news. I, I was really hoping to get involved with that. She's like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to want you to go in like uh, tomorrow. I was like, okay, well, fine. <laughs> Thinking it was in London, mind you. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. They want you to go in tomorrow um, and it's for the Golden Monkey. And I was like, oh. Well, that sounds all right then. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> where, what time? Uh, well, it's going to be at like 9 a.m. tomorrow in, uh, oh in Cardiff. <laughs> okay. All Outstanding. Right. So, uh, so I rushed back to the house, kind of got everything ready, uh, said I would mm. go or went through to, to Cardiff, got into the office and there was no one there to greet me because Todd, who was in charge of the department at the time, was on set. So I got yeah. in, I sat down in the office and I waited. Then our um, our animal researcher Laws came in, and he said, "Oh, there's a there's a box under the desk." And I looked at the box, and there was a spray painted uh, milk carton with some sticks on it. And I thought, mm-hmm. "Okay, <laughs> right, well, this is uh, all right. okay." Uh, didn't get to see Todd at all that day. He, I think he came in at one point for about five minutes. I met him and he said, uh, oh, yeah, here's the puppet. Go and go and learn something. Mm-hmm. Oh, you'll be meeting Tom at the end of the day. Now that's I know that. Tom that's as in Tom, Tom Hooper. Hooper. Yes. <laughs> <As> in, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 
As in um, that Tom Hooper. Wow. Um, so uh, just messed around with the puppet. He came back. He said, yeah, yeah, that looks good. You know, maybe think about this, that, the other, blah, blah, blah. Went in and met Tom, who's very specific about who he likes. Mm-hmm. Him and I got on very quickly and very easily, which is a, a real relief. So that seemed to all go quite well. And then he was like, all right, well, can you stay the night? Uh, yes, I guess. So I stayed the night, <laughs> not knowing that the next day it's because Ruth was coming in. So oh, wow. <laughs> Ruth wanted to meet the person who would be puppeteering. Yeah. So yeah, the next morning I, uh, I got together, I got the puppet. I said hello to Ruth. She said, oh, hi, it's nice to meet you. Mind you, no one in the production had met Ruth yet. Um, and I mean, no one. I had a oh, bit right. of a boo-boo. The end of the day, after we had kind of hung out all day, I showed around the sets, which <laughs> Joel, the art director, had wanted mm-hmm. to do. And I got in a lot of trouble for that. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was not very good. Although, luckily, Joel and I can laugh about it now because he said, well, you understand my position. I said, yes, Joel, I absolutely <laughs> fucked up. Yes, I understand that. He said, you know, you almost had a two day job and that was it. And I said, yes, I know. Um, so, but luckily, Ruth and I got on really well. After that, we had about a week of being in a room together. We pretended to be monkeys together. We kind of started to explore the physicality. We started to talk together about the character. I hadn't even read the script, so I was I was really catching up. Mm. But we just got on like a house on fire really, really quickly and started to come up with the magic that you see on screen now. Cool. Yeah. That's so interesting as well. I was, I was wondering if there were maybe glimmers of, uh, I wouldn't wish this obviously, but dislike and hatred between you and Ruth just to reflect, you know, <laughs> to the, the, the demon, demon and human. the human yeah. relationship. In oh, the, I, think it's, in I think it's very much the opposite. There is, there is <laughs> total respect and love, at least from my Great. perspective. Maybe she secretly hates me. I don't know. You know. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> An interesting twist. <laughs> no, we, we, we get on really, really well. Uh, and luckily that, that is because Todd gave us that space in that room yeah. for a week mm. just to, just to get to know each other on a very serious level performance and everything yeah yeah so i i guess uh you are very well known for the the monkey role i mean we've heard a lot about lots of other areas that you've been involved that we weren't expecting to to see the (laughs) the hand of brian being involved so we heard obviously from joe about your breathing in a yorick body i think as well you were involved in like making and and fixing some of the puppets and rigs and maybe also puppeteering in a choreographed bear fight is is that all is that all right? <laughs> I, I would say pretty much there's not many things creature wise that I haven't been involved with in one way or another. And that's not me boasting. That's just the nature it's of just the reality. It is. It is just the nature of um, our department. We kind of have to we have to be across all avenues. Mm. But yeah, I mean, oh God, there, there's I mean, there's so many things that I can't. Let's see. Season one. Make sure I'm talking about season one. Um, <laughs> that's what publicity will get on me. If- so season three, eh? Season three. No. Yeah. So let's talk about Joe for a second. I mean, mm. Yorick, you got it. You got to talk about Yorick. Yes. Be, being in that in that little ravine inside of that bear so basically breathing the breath of the bear as the first mm-hmm. ad called me bob <laughs> <laughs> breath of the bear was actually one of the more enjoyable it's, i mean it's all fun but that i really enjoyed that there was it was two, one, two days maybe two, maybe one and a half days down in that little ravine mm-hmm. and it was just me squished up inside of this bear flank which actually is in that's not cg there's cg 
around it. But when you actually see the bear breathing, that is our actual puppet that we had on set, which is incredible. Wow, mm. that is amazing. And it's, I have this paddle, essentially. It's like a long plank of wood with two handles so I can mm -hmm. get as many ribs as possible. But it also means if I push, for example, my left hand before my right hand and then let my left hand come back, I can give that sort of uh. expansion of the lungs where it goes from the top down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was really enjoyable. It was squished and Joe was, <laughs> I mean, li literally, if he had have had something bad that day, I would have known about it. <laughs> it, was, his, it, was, it was right in my face. <laughs> much to, much to the amusement of uh, of Daphne I have to say <laughs> Yeah because um, I, I forget that she's there in that scene because I'm, yeah, I'm now just picturing yeah. you two having this quite uncomfortable quite fun but yeah, yeah. no that that's totally the, that's that was the point we had to um I was pushing pushing against her basically Oh of mm -hmm. course yeah Yeah with also with her punching the it's called the couch rig her punching the couch rig and it breaking slightly and me having to say Daphne please don't hit the puppet <laughs> Which makes her want to hit it more, you know. But it's... She's perfect for Lyra, isn't I know, she, really? I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that was really enjoyable. But yeah, we, the bear, we, God, I can't remember how many there are. 30-some or 40-some different bear rigs uh, that wow. we have. Mm. All mm. things, multiple carrying rigs because mm. we carry all the actors in different ways. Um, some are some is a one person on just on one person's back, and then it has kind of a flank of a bear. Mm -hmm. One is two people, so you can carry it sort of like a ch chariot. Uh, I don't know what those things were called, but two poles mm -hmm. basically with a big bear oh, yeah. flank on that. You have your the bear fight was choreographed with two backpack bears, which were full size. <laughs> Sorry, you're False. used to these terms. We're not I used know. to <laughs> Breath of the Bear, Backpack Bear. Just, the couch rig. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the big rig. The just a casual um, bear flank here. Yeah. You know, bear flank yeah. The, what, uh, the what, is, what is a backpack bear? <laughs> what is a backpack bear? So those were as stripped down as possible, but they have the full vacuum formed bear head. I, I keep saying bear. Obviously, we know we're talking about Panzerbjorn, not polar bears, but you know. Uh, of yeah, course. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for mm. clarifying. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but um, it's got a full vacuum formed head, so you can see that and you can get eye line. It has two legs as well, two front legs. So you have mm -hmm. one performer in this who's able to control the head. And then you have uh, the head and body, basically. And then you have another performer that's on the legs to make the legs walk and give them space for the legs. Okay. And if you okay. pull back, there's elastic bungee that's attached to the back and it can go up to full height. So 11 foot, four inches, I think it was. Wow. So you know that, you know, in season one, the shot where basically where there's the big fight with Yorick um, and yeah. he goes yeah. smashing through the town. When he mm -hmm. comes out of that church and then he stands up. So that was me in oh, one yeah. of the backpack rigs, basically. Wow. Cool. That's amazing. Oh, that's, uh, oh, I'm just picturing lots of wild lots of wild things. But obviously we saw the final product and I think you were also very closely involved with the visual effects team as a wider part to involve digital counterparts of that. So what was that process like? Is that something that you've done before? This is a very special... Our department... The creature effects department and frame store mm. have had a very special relationship on this production very deep mm. very respectful we now are at a stage where they can give us an asset so a 3d modeled asset either mm -hmm. early or fully finished and 
we now have the ability to do all kinds of exciting things with that. We can 3D print, we can make our own modifications on that, we can scale things down and, and turn them into different things. We can, we, can, we can now sculpt things, 3D scan them, send them to them so they know exactly the size of what we're using on <sighs> set so they can wow. alter it. Wow. So we've kind of got this incredible integration going now. And the, the incredible thing for me, especially with Monkey, is that mm. I was able to go in at the end of season one with Ruth mm -hmm. and we were able to sit down with Framestore and watch through all the footage and they could say, right, what was happening at that point right there? Why did you guys make that decision? Mm. And she could give her input because every, everything Ruth and I talk about with decisions, every single decision we make together, and I mean every single decision, mm -hmm. even tiny things like how she picks up cups, <laughs> everything is decided together. And I was then able to go through my notes because every single scene, every single puppet pass, and I mean every single one, I go back mm -hmm. and all of the puppeteers put notes about exactly why we did what we did when we did. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. we can then go to them and say, that's because of this specific thing. And they'll go, right, it's not working in the edit, but because you're thinking that, would it work if we moved the monkey to this side of the hall and then had him dart across? And we say, yeah, that's mm. great. That's absolutely great. Or they'll say, can we put him further down and... And sometimes we do say it doesn't make a lot of sense. And then Russell Dodgson, who's incredible and mm. honestly a master of ideas, he'll go, all right, let me think about it. And he'll come back a few minutes later and go, I've got this. Does this work? And we say, yeah, absolutely. So it's mm. oh wow, it's yeah. a real deep integration. And it has been special. I know how many people are involved in making all of the creatures and mm. the, the monkey especially. He's, you know, he's my special thing. Mm. What, what are some... Um... Like, uh, is, are, th are those examples more like the, the physical constraints or um, choices that you're making for the scene to work? Like where the light is or where a gap might be or a bump yeah. in the floor? Or are you talking also about, well, I moved like that to represent an emotion because the monkey's out in the open and that might be, uh, you know, an exposed position to be in. Is it a mix of all of that? Yeah, it's it's totally all of that. So on on a, on the day on when we're filming, there are constraints. For example, I can't make him jump up 20 feet in the air, you know, up, I can't make him crawl sure. up something super quickly, mm. but yeah. I can give them an idea of what it would look like. And I can help them with a laser pointer, give them the speed. So things like that, we can figure mm. out on the day and VFX are there to make sure it works for them. So it's, mm -hmm. he's not going in somewhere stupid. He's not going in somewhere completely black, or if he's going into somewhere dark, we make sure that we have a key light so his eyes would, for example, be uh, reflecting something. Oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. so cool. Oh, God, there's so much detail. Oh. I know, I know. <laughs> but when, when Ruth and I give our input, we are mostly talking about sometimes there are physical things, but those physical things mm. boil down to an emotional decision or in yeah. the case of Mrs. Coulter, often it's a cognitive decision because she, she and the monkey separate themselves from emotion so often, those decisions they make are a tactical decision, basically. So yeah, everything like that gets boiled down. Mm. Yeah, and that, and that does seem to be very unique about this production. And I think it maybe links back to this idea about the concept that the puppeteer is normally invisible, but it feels like you've been much more involved in, for instance, Ruth's process. Yeah. as part of all of this. So has that influenced how you think about working other projects and how, how weird was that for you, um, given your background in more traditional puppeteering roles? Well, I think every production is going to be different. And even, mm. even if I said on every single production, I will be doing exactly the same quote unquote job. So let's say reference, yeah. dynamic reference puppetry, which is what this is. <clears throat> but every 
job has a different VFX department, a different VFX director. So they're going to want different things from the performer. Mm -hmm. Every production, you'll be working with different actors. And most of the time, the creatures that I do, like in Maleficent, it was Leaf, the giant tree spirit. Mm. And that is a standalone character. You know, he has his own journey. He Mm -hmm. makes his own decisions, just like any of us. With the demons and so many of the other fantastical elements that come into his dark materials, they are either influenced by the people or Mm -hmm. they are there to influence. And with the demons, obviously that's a straightforward relationship. They are part of that person. So there has Mm. to be that relationship. And we said that from the beginning, that's important. Mm. But going forward, I mean, I would love to continue to have this sort of input. I know that that's not always going to happen. Sometimes you show up for a job and they say, I want you to do this and that's it. I don't care. I don't really want you to be seen. I want you to be under the table. I want the puppet to do what it's supposed to do. And I want it to fuck off basically. (laughs) Um, And that's okay. You know, you have to respect that. And also even, even, even actor to actor, some actors really don't like it. It, Either it creeps them out or Mm. it's something they don't really understand. And and some often they'll come around to it. But if it's just a few days you're working with them and they really don't like it, then you have to be respectful of that. And you have to make yourself invisible and just be the character, the little tiny puppet make it do its thing and be respectful of them. And that's so important. And I think that's something that I've really tried to instill in the puppeteers within Mm -hmm. our department is just to respect every single person. And that means the directors, how they like to work with the puppets and the actors, how they like to deal with it, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting because I guess there are multiple different ways, obviously, of effectively trying to do the same job, catering for the scene, the actor you're working with, their preferences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess in the same way that some actors must work with very young child actors, you know, exactly five, six year olds, uh, there must be very different approaches depending on the personalities of the people. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. And it's all valid, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, sure. Everyone has their own thing and that's fine. I just try to, and that even goes with Ruth, you know, so we will be, we'll be literally in the middle of a real, and and this is something that I stand up for Ruth a lot. Not that she needs it. I mean, she's incredible. on her (laughs) But you know, when people don't know her, they do say, oh, she's a bit standoffish and she's not, she's thoughtful and she Mm. has a rich inner world, which when she's acting, she needs to be in. So we'll be in the middle of an intense conversation either about, well, no, most of the time, not about external things let's say about uh, a scene and Mm -hmm. in the middle of me talking i'll see her go away if you know what i mean i'll see her Mm -hmm. thought process take her away and i'll just shut up and either leave or i'll just stay there quietly and just wait and that's that's what you have to do you have to listen to that person and and just let them guide you basically um yeah yeah it's it's a fascinating it's fascinating to hear you talk about it because it's just so far away from anything that i've i've ever done certainly and and yeah i guess your performance feels very natural so it's Mm. amazing to see what detail went into it we actually had a couple of people asking about this so twitter gatse and wilson's quinn on twitter both asked a bit more about your relationship basically with ruth in playing the golden monkey specifically and can you just explain a little bit about how you decide what to focus on within your performances and how you influence each other yeah uh, first of all i th- i think twitter gatsy came on set i think they did i think almost definitely oh, yes. yeah. and, <laughs> and i have to say that it was such a fleeting meeting because I, I got to meet him and um yeah. and it was so fleeting and i felt really uncomfortable because i'm not I I get very embarrassed Mm. and I've, you know, 
I'm, I'm not the most social butterfly person and I, and I, I do get embarrassed and, and a bit mm -hmm. uncomfortable. So I have mm -hmm. to say that when he was on set, it was very quick and there wasn't much to say. So I hope he didn't take that personally because oh, um, it I'm, was great. Sure it is not, always yeah. great whenever we get to see people and, and meet people that really love all of it. But um, I just want to say that. Anyways, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Ruth and I have a great time. We, it kind of started, well, it, it definitely started when we did that first week together with Alex Reynolds, the uh, movement coach, mm -hmm. and we started developing a language for ourselves. So I, I, there, there are certain things that I won't talk about because I think they're, Basically, the, the character that we've developed together, mm -hmm. Mrs. Coulter and the monkey, um, there's a lot of layers to it and a lot of things that people would never know watching it or they might not know why she's reacting a certain way. And I'm not right. going to talk about those things because I think those are private to Mrs. Coulter, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's part of her inner life. Exactly. Uh, as yeah. a character that exactly. you've built. Yeah. And it's kind of, a, I, I think with her character, there's, there's elements of one of the things from the TV series that something I most enjoy is that there's a like an unknown or a slightly unexplained yeah. darkness mm. lingering there or, or, or I don't know oh, yeah I, the, the fact that I can't even put uh, a finger on what exactly is unsettling yeah. disturbing and or generative of sympathy but without really knowing why it's one of the best things I think in how the adaptation brought her character to life so yeah, yeah don't spoil it don't, don't give it away absolutely not I never would but I, I'm glad to hear yeah. that because that that means that what we've discussed and what we've you know it, it's working and it is coming through hmm. absolutely but you know there there was this this language that we needed to create together so that just on a basic level, we could talk about things quickly in between scenes. Mm -hmm. We could say, what's not working? Oh, we need to be in this sort of state. So she's often on public show. So we came up with the term, which is pretty picture. And pretty picture means mm -hmm. both her and the monkey, obviously they're the same person, but they are mm -hmm. creating a beautiful picture. They want to look like a portrait on a wall, basically. You know, they want to look pristine and and that's what they want to give, up, give across. Yeah. And little phrases like that became so important to we, I mean we literally have a, a playbook if you want to call it that of mm -hmm. uh, different terms that we can use that we know immediately what the other one's talking about uh, that's fascinating physicalities sometimes you'll notice that she's I mean she's a very proper character isn't she but sometimes yeah. you'll notice when she's on her own she's a bit more um it's it's like gravity's holding her a bit more mm. and you might notice in the background then that the golden monkey is a bit more upright or you might notice that she's moving quickly and the monkey's moving back so there's there's always this push and pull between what they want and what they're giving off mm. and things like that come into physicality like i said how she holds a cup she tries to bring in a simian quality to that so she might grab it from the top rather than from the side oh. when she sits she might sit with her legs apart even though it doesn't make sense versus mm -hmm. sitting upright yes That's so interesting there's there's a really clear example of that for me where i think it's in bolvanga she drops down from the ceiling roof is it in bolvanga it is in bolvanga yeah, yeah she and she she lands and sits kind of back on her haunches yep. on her well i think she's wearing heels so you know it's up on, on her heels but definitely poised as if she is the monkey. Yeah. Mm. And of course, that's because she's yeah. just been locked in by Lyra, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's a really, gr well, it's a great scene, but a really clear bringing the monkey mannerisms and physicality back into her, into into the human version of, of the monkey. And you'll hear that in her uh, vocalizations as well. She does things sometimes. Mm. <clears throat> 
it's like <clears throat> it's like there's something in her <clears throat> throat, and that's that animal quality oh. coming through. Interesting. And, and the way that she yeah. yells, all of it. Yeah. I mean, both both of these um, are two things we we really wanted to uh, pick your brain on. So. I'll, I'll maybe start with the physical movement. Yeah. More of the monkey than than Ruth Wilson portraying <laughs> Mrs. Coulter, but it's it's interesting to see how that all bleeds through. So did did you for, for this role, did you have to study monkey motion and their mannerisms and like how how do how much you more alliteration how, can you get in that question in? <laughs> how many monkeys did you manage to monitor? Um, <laughs> to to like bring the physicality to life in the puppetry. I mean, what what is that process? <laughs> as much trolling through the internet as possible, basically, and and books. Mm. I mean, I'll <laughs> say it's it's especially interesting in the Golden Monkey because we decided to use the Golden Snubnose Monkey. They're very mm. endangered. I mean, incredibly endangered, and they. I mean, I, God, I could be wrong, but less than 50 years, they've really been properly known about. Yes. And and that that could be wrong. I can't remember exactly what it is, but only studies have really gone into them uh, within the last 50 years. I know that. Mm-hmm. And mm. well, now everybody's like, yeah, but I saw it on David Attenborough's. I know it's incredible, but it's incredible <laughs> that they got to see that entire troupe. That is, that is incredible. Mm. Yeah. So that wasn't out, obviously, during season one. That came out middle of season two while we were working on that. And everyone was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, have you seen it? And I was like, yeah, a bit late. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, I looked at general simian movement, how monkeys and apes interact with each other, the socialization, the grooming methods, what they do when they're really angry, mm-hmm. what kind of noises they make, how they hold mm. themselves. That was something we had to really figure out with the monkey because he goes from a fully flat-backed sat position where he's kind of on his haunches to this forward position where he kind of arches his back to this full flat-backed mm. walking position on all fours. And then mm. snub-nosed monkeys are quite strange that they walk around on two legs as well. They kind of do that weird, I'm trying to, obviously nobody can see me. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it's, it's like, bad to have swagger. a puppeteer on it's a, sort of a, a Sort of a John Wayne walk, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, okay. yeah cowboy yeah, walk. Yeah. <laughs> so there, mm-hmm. there was lots of research into that. I watched a 50-minute uh, documentary all in Chinese, didn't know what they were saying, but I watched all the... <laughs> All the animals uh, the entire time. Yeah, wow. And did, did you work with any uh, real monkeys? I don't, I don't know how available that is, but like Marcel from Friends, for example, <laughs> I just... Did, did you manage to get a monkey partner uh, go- Golden snub noses aren't really over here. They're, no. <laughs> Framestore went over... To, they did go over to... or I think they were going to go over to China to film at a zoo. Hmm. But just before I got brought on, there was a visit out to an animal sanctuary and they they did work with a lot of different animals mm-hmm. but we also had Liz uh, Liz Whitaker who is a, a nature specialist I don't I don't know what to call him and I hope he doesn't mm-hmm. get offended but he's worked on a lot of nature documentaries and he's incredibly knowledgeable so he would go through and give us all the research he would say here's the average sizes here's uh, you know how long they live and here's as much footage as I can show you, basically. And we'd say to him, what would they do when they're angry with a sibling? And he would go and try and find footage of that. So okay. all of wow. the animals had as much grounding as possible. Oh, that's that, that's amazing. And I guess you, you have a, a particularly unique or different position in that your character, uh, the monkey or the golden monkey or monkey bastard as we sometimes call him (laughs) on the podcast i guess he is the most in a way the most animalistic because we never hear him speak but obviously he is part of mrs coulter and therefore there is that human element to him but also you you were brought in to do some of the vocalizations for his non-speaking noises so yeah how, how did you work with that and how did you kind of come up with the concept of what he might sound like well it's i mean i i think 
for one, there has to be some sound on set. So mm. season one, uh, we had readers off screen doing the lines. Season two, we've done it slightly differently, but I won't get into that too much because, you know, spoilers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we we did have readers off, off stage. Obviously, that's not a problem for me, but they still needed, especially, you know, the people that I was, let's say, intimidating or um, if Ruth needs some sort of feedback, there needs to be some sound. So they said, right, we just want you to make some sound on set. Now, this is much mm-hmm. to the chagrin of the sound department who kept saying, please, please, please stop making noises on people's lines. At which point I would have actors saying, please, can you just keep making that noise on that line? And then I would <laughs> try and do one one way, one the next way. And then the sound department would come and say, oh, that was really great one time. But then you did it on the line the other time. And then the actor would say, oh, that was really great, except you didn't do it on the line one time. <laughs> So um, it was it was a bit of a balancing act, but we all we all figured out our way. And um, what Ruth and I decided was that the sounds should all be because he doesn't speak. Hmm. It's like there's something stopping him. So there is a lot of breath noises. So there is a lot of times that I'll be doing something, and uh, let's say let's say he's uh, he's activated, but he's trying to get Mrs. Coulter's attention. And I'm sorry if this doesn't sound good mm-hmm. on this microphone, but you know he'll I'll just constantly be puppeteering and going <laughs> things like that to give it's very creepy and you try and find other noises like sometimes he will make low guttural noises and he'll go <laughs> and those are noises that she tends to make as well mm. and then of course there's his scream which I'll do, but I'm sorry. Please forgive your ears if this sounds terrible. <laughs> they listen, listeners. They might just have to mute this out and have some other sound. Okay, so but I'll do it. Um, and also, mind you, this haunts the dreams of everyone on set. They all hate it. Moving my headphones away. Okay, from you ready? Ears, yeah, just, here we go. Yeah, we're ready. <laughs> so, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Your neighbors are going to be very concerned about you, I think. <laughs> what a noise. It wow. um it yeah. really upsets everyone on set, but um but yeah, that comes out every now and then. Mm, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean, there's so there's so much in well, the, all of the puppets, but specifically the golden monkey with mm. the physicality and the vocalization and the relationship to um so Ruth Wilson and Miss Coulter. It's um there's so much in there. I know we've spoken a bit um, as we've gone on what it's like working with Ruth, but we had so many questions on this yes, that um, yes. <laughs> I, I, I have to do justice and, and come back to it. But it, so in, in particular, I guess, were there any particularly funny moments or highlights that you'd share as a kind of clear anecdote from your time working with Ruth? Yeah, I mean, there are so many stories and most of them are just... <laughs> Most people don't even know what's happening. They just know that after a take, <laughs> her and I are absolutely pissing ourselves. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there, there's a couple that I can really think of. I mean, it always surprises you when she's just in a silly mood because so often I'm I'm in that serious mood with her and, and uh, really working on... But sometimes she's just in a... You just get tired, you know? You just get tired. Yeah. Especially if you're playing Mrs. Coulter. She doesn't really have many silly moments. Exactly. So. There's not much <laughs> yeah. release. No. So there, there was one time we were in Mrs. Coulter's flat, which could I also say is one of my favorite sets still. It's, mm. it was it's beautiful. so beautiful. It was not necessarily a place I'd like to live, but a place I'd like to rent. It was so beautiful. Yes. <laughs> mm. And we were, we were doing a scene, which was in the end, it became an almost nothing scene, but we were experimenting in the lift with mm-hmm. different ways of how 
Mrs. Coulter and Monkey feel being in incredibly close proximity in a time when they're feeling very upset mm. and being forced to be close. As as you've seen within their mm-hmm. private space, they tend to be have distance. Mm. Um, so then being forced into this lift together, there was lots of experimentation. So we had a lot of takes uh, one after the other, just trying different things and, you know, Monkey going crazy and all, all these different weird things. And it just made us a bit silly because, of course, I don't know what she's thinking, but essentially there's a five foot 10 dude dressed all in black, trying to be invisible with a half of a monkey body attached to his arm, (laughs) making it swing around a lift around her going, (laughs) you know, and she's so I think it just drove her a bit mad, but, um, but there was one time when she, she just, she just had had enough of it and not actually in an upset way, but she just, so the lift doors closed also mind you lift doors, any kind of door, that are quote unquote automatic on set, you always have sure. problems with them not opening and people running into them and them not closing <laughs> all the, you know, all of the normal. So the lift doors closed, and as they closed, she just she just started stomping on the monkey and she got his little head and she was just smashing it on the ground. Mind you, I'm not gonna stop being the monkey, so we're just sitting there going, you know, and <laughs> the monkey get absolutely abused. And we hear, what is what is that noise? And they open the lift doors and she's still just beating it to death. And then she, she looks up and she's like, oh, sorry. And then Monkey just shakes it off and walks off camera. So, <laughs> Oh, my God. That should definitely be some kind of outtake that um, the frame store guy it, should it do It absolutely is. And it was in our gag reel for our season one rap party. And it- oh, oh, awesome. Amazing. I hope that makes its way out into the world. That, that, that sounds be, fantastic. That would be brilliant. Yeah. Mm. We actually, weirdly, we had a question about almost this this uh, this scenario from Enma Anderson on, on Twitter, who asked, well, what what would happen if Mrs. Coulter and the monkey really did fight? Because I think there was a lot of... Uh, people felt sorry for the monkey, basically. Um, mm. <laughs> got a lot of un- undue flack, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you able to answer that question, or is that part yeah, of no, your... Yeah, I, no, I think, I think that's okay. Yeah, and <laughs> and the reason I think it's fine to answer is because it's interesting. It is It is very interesting that people feel for the monkey and the thing that's interesting is that they feel like they want to stand up for the monkey but the monkey is not his own person he is mrs coulter so when you're talking about them fighting you're talking about her fighting herself and and surely her inflicting pain on herself is already Mm -hmm. a fight Mm -hmm. in itself Mm -hmm. and the, the other thing you have to understand is that there is a darkness there and there is it's it's obvious that there is pain being inflicted on the monkey. And when you remember the monkey is Mrs. Coulter, then you understand that that's a self-harm. So Mm. to fight yourself, yes, that makes sense because we, we, within ourselves, we constantly have conflicts. Mm -hmm. But to physicalize that, in my mind, doesn't make sense because Mm. decisions are made. You can, you can have an argument with yourself. You know, you can literally fret over something and go back and forth on it. You can feel distant from yourself, all of these things. I mean, the ultimate way to fight yourself, I guess, is, is self harm in a way. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm not condoning self-harm, but that is something that she goes to Mm -hmm. and something that she uses. That is something she feels comfortable with. Um, Mm. So it's interesting to feel sorry for the monkey, especially considering he is a, I mean, he's a bad dude. He's not, it's not like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, his bed is filled with roses. He, his shit stinks (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he's horrific, but he lets her do that because she's letting herself do that to herself. Mm. Mm. 
So but I, I guess it's interesting that he's he's not the one doing it to her. If you see what I mean, she's she's yeah. the one with agency. It feels like, and that's why I think you do get that empathy yeah. for the demon. But that's that. For uh, the, yeah, it's, I I would I would uh, there there's I could I could literally talk on this for ages, but I'm not going to because <laughs> that does start to go into some of those yeah. uh, deeper things that we found together. But I will say. I think there's there's a reason. There is a reason, and they're okay. right to recognize that. But I would say, reflect on why that might be, and let your mind take you to different places because there's a lot of reasons that that could be. And it's an interesting question to have, and it's an important question to have, uh, especially when you're thinking about what that means for someone within themselves and how they feel about themselves and how they yeah. treat themselves. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> well, there's the rest of my Amy's evening on conjecture. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think uh, as a fan of the books, and it, this is very frequent, I think a lot of people are always asking Philip Pullman for do more backstory on Mrs. Coulter. And mm. I don't, I kind of really want it, but also kind of want it never ever to happen because yeah. I think there needs to be that tension about like her as a mystery. Well, we have lots of difficult, I, 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 I've kind of caught flack hmm. because people worry that we feel too sorry for the monkey or that, you know, he is yeah. too, mm. and, and, that goes back to basically what Philip has said is that the monkey is pure evil and that's it. Mm. For me, yeah. I think the way that a book reads and the way that a screen adaptation, it will always be different. The way that you tell a story is always different and you have to express the, express yourself in different ways. Even just showing a story is so much different than reading it and letting your mind do everything. Yeah. For me, it's not that the monkey isn't evil because he is still a horrible essence. He is a he is bad. Mm. But that that's what's interesting about when people feel sorry for him is that then you have to go, uh, but he's bad. And if he is if <laughs> yeah. we are agreeing with Philip and saying he is pure evil, it's still okay to empathize with him sometimes. And that makes it even more interesting yeah. than just pure evil for evil's sake, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and and you know, bad bad people are not beyond sympathy and empathy. So I think yeah. there's a richer it's a richer level of detail to have that aspect to it. Yeah. Um, I will say, mm. and I I mean this half flippantly, but if you and Ruth ever feel like, you know, anonymously co authoring some fan fiction, um <laughs> uh, that would be a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And uh, I would just say as well, in terms of both both of your performances together, one of the true joys for me as a as a book fan is that whenever mrs coulter and her demon are on screen you never know what's going to happen and i just love that electricity mm. that comes from that and the tension that comes from that i think it brought brought many surprises even for me as a, a book fan who thought i knew everything i was going to see so congratulations on that oh, i'm very <laughs> glad considering it is a very well-known story so if that's yes. if that's happening to proper fans and that is good yes yes so uh, we have a question that I think uh, is, a, is an, a, an awkward one to ask because I think I might know what the answer is going to be. But well, basically, if you had to name the golden monkey, yeah, what, what, what would you what would you call him? And you don't have to, you know, <laughs> may, maybe maybe miss I don't know, maybe you got gun to your head or something. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, this is well. I mean, you you could look at this question in a number of ways. Are we talking about the puppet that I have? Are we talking about the actual sure. golden monkey? If you're talking about the actual golden monkey, I think I couldn't answer that because yeah. he doesn't have a name. Um, now, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Whether or not he does have a sure. name, that's another question. But for what we're talking about with the stories, he doesn't have a name. So I'm not going sure. to 
I don't even want to give him a name because, yeah. you know, obviously in the radio play, Ozymandias mm. was said, mm. which is like the, what is it? The God of all evil, I think, or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Fair but, try, but you yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not bad. Um, not bad, But yeah. <laughs> I, because he doesn't have a name, I'm not going to name him. Now, if sure. you're talking about the puppet, that's a different mm. story. Ah, However, a loophole, I hear. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> However, it's not very exciting. It's, okay. It's monkey, so... <laughs> ah, well, but, oh, but come that on, is, Brian. That is, that is genuinely his name. I've, I've thought about, you know, uh, I've pretended to give him all kinds of characters offset, and, you know, when, when the big when the big wigs are around, they love to see Monkey, quote-unquote, out of character. <laughs> but, no, he he's just called Monkey. Obviously, everyone calls him Goblin Bastard or Monkey Bastard <laughs> or, you know, that is a, that's a popular one or that little shit yeah. or, you know, whatever. Um, or, oh, oh, he's horrible. Oh, oh, he's horrible. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, uh, that's it. Just monkey, just monkey. Well, it's uh, simple, but uh, yeah, yeah, to the point. I like it. <laughs> so while we're talking through um, the the monkey and well, whether or not it's named, is is there anything more that you've imbued the monkey with? And I, I don't mean the puppet. I mean the character in terms of personal backstories you might have created or in trying to think through his character. Anything else that you've imbued the character with beyond what's in the book? Hmm. I mean, yes. That, that you can, yeah. Assuming you can share them. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's okay. I, I'm not, I'm not going to say that this is something I can't answer. It's, um, sure. yes, mm. yes, obviously. I mean, it's, it's hard to, every single day, we, we kind of learn, you learn things and you... Trying to be respectful to the question, though. You don't have to, oh, you don't have to the respect question. the question at all. No, 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 no. Slam the question. Kick it to the curb. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm, I'm going to try, try and answer it. Um, I mean, the, the, the interesting things come with well, some things didn't didn't go the way that we thought they were going to go. Mm -hmm. Some things happened early on that changed later in the edit or in mm -hmm. reshoots or whatever. Um, so there's, I don't, I don't think this is giving anything away. No, I don't think so. This is season one stuff that didn't happen. Yeah. So the the interesting thing comes when when you have a problem, basically, mm -hmm. when you have no information in the books about. A relationship between mm. the monkey and a different character. Uh, yeah. um, some characters in the books he never meets. Um, mm -hmm. Some characters you just hear about the humans and how they interact. So there was lots of interesting things in the first meeting between uh, Mrs. Coulter and Lyra. Mm -hmm. How does the monkey interact with Pan? How is that first relationship? How does monkey feel about Pan and Lyra. Mm, How yeah. do they look at each other? Does you know Pan doesn't know Golden Monkey, but Golden Monkey knows Pan. Mm. So there's there's an interesting there's an intrigue there which was fun to play. Which a lot of that got cut out um, for time, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It wasn't necessary for the story, but there is some mm. richness going on there actually under the tables, which is pretty fascinating. There's interesting yeah. things like. Right. When we go into the Arctic Institute, mm -hmm. does the golden monkey go on the table? Do any mm. demons go on the table? Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> yes, so we yes. decided that the golden monkey had his own chair because he is, you know, Mrs. Coulter is very important at the Arctic Institute. So he had his own chair. Mm -hmm. That mm. kind of changed. Then he was down on the floor. And then we decided, right, unless it's a small demon, they're all going to be on the floor here. That's just a respectful thing. Mm -hmm. When... Mrs. Coulter lures Billy Costa. Mm -hmm. Originally, there was the idea that if the golden monkey got close to a demon and 
touched a demon. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's that's a that's a, a pushing of a boundary anyways. Um, mm. it's, it's, it's quite an intimate thing. Mm-hmm. So if he touches a demon without its consent, it kind mm. of lulls. It makes that demon so uncomfortable that it kind of lulls them into a sense of calmness, which then mm. pacifies the human. Or it can make them so uncomfortable that they pass out, basically. That kind of got moved away from that idea. But those kinds of things were examples of having a problem that has no basis of research which we just Mm -hmm. had to make decisions with the director the writers yeah you know the whole team Mm. interesting yeah okay cool and i I think that makes it that really makes sense for me it's sort of like well yeah that's definitely something the golden monkey can do because he is a demon that people feel drawn to in some way in the same way that mrs coulter is so yeah charismatic and beguiling um part of that Mm. as well yeah interesting fascinating um i think you mentioned a bit about it earlier in terms of when Mrs. Coulter and her demon are together and when they're alone, they they want to be apart from each other. And one of the things that was within this adaptation in particular was that they can actually separate from her demon. But also you, I think I've seen you talk about what you've termed, or certainly I've never heard it before, but this idea of the rubber band feeling, so the connection and and the pulling together or the, the connection between the human and demon yeah. physically within space so how how do you how do you think about that with ruth and how do you think about portraying that with the puppet as well in terms of when they're pulling away and when they're being separate so that was something we kind of discovered that we well we we did begin to explore and, and certainly figure out during that first week we were together um in that room mm-hmm. and we were it's so it's so important because they are part of each other it's so important to constantly have a connection you don't want them to just be doing different things even if we decide what we're doing together we still had to both ruth and i and mrs coulter and the monkey needed Mm -hmm. to have some feeling between us constantly and and that's that's something that is important in any performance in a stage performance you could let's say you have five characters on stage like in a checkoff play or something five Mm -hmm. characters on stage but two of them are on opposite sides of the stage and they can be doing absolutely nothing to do with each other, carrying on their own little lives. But if they're mm-hmm. both thinking about that relationship, that feeling, that pull of them, they're once pulling them together as an audience, for some reason, you will read it. You will understand that there is something mm-hmm. going on there. And it's not that they have to be yeah. you know, looking at each other or showing you anything. If they're sure. consciously thinking about that, you will feel it. Mm-hmm. And, and that was something we needed to establish. So we started playing with this idea of a rubber band and the fact that we knew that if we got a certain distance apart, it would be painful. It would be physically painful. And that kind of started to wor- live into that world of self-harm and, ooh, this is a comfortable thing. It, it hurts, but that keeps us focused. Yeah. And then, we, you know, this rubber band, all of a sudden, it was kind of like you stretched it so far that it didn't have elasticity anymore. And then it was almost like magnets, literally repelling each other. Mm. So then instead mm. of there being this, this pull where you constantly want to be closer together because that's comfortable, it was almost like yeah. those magnets were pushing you apart because that was our new comfortable we had we had learned with this distance that that kept us separate it kept us out of our own way Mm. and it gave us space to think essentially interesting which is which is why it's so interesting that they in in public they're so keen on being close together and making that pretty picture that i was talking about it means that they're focused it's 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 uncomfortable it's it's there's too many thoughts going on, I guess. Um, so it mm. keeps them focused. And then as there's that distance, things kind of slow down and, and it's still painful. It will always be painful, like any mm. demon uh, being separated 
from a distance. But yeah, I, I won't talk too much about the specifics again, because there's a lot of sure. psychology behind that, that her and I have built up that I don't want to give away. But I, I think that's, I think that's a good thing. It's, it's about that connection constantly that their thoughts are the same, they're thinking the same things and, and how you can make it so that if we're on the opposite side of a, what was it like a 40 foot corridor, that yeah. you as the audience, especially if you don't see the monkey, you can feel that he's somewhere. Mm. And that's yeah. important or vice versa. If you see the monkey, then you're like, oh shit, where's Mrs. Coulter? I can feel her, but mm-hmm. I don't see her. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, my brain is firing on so many different things right now. <laughs> um, but oh, there's just, there's just so much to think about there. So yeah, that's a really, really fascinating insight into how to interpret that character, basically. Mm. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> cool. So uh, we've maybe got a few... I wouldn't say like quick fire, but we've got a few that yeah. uh, a few questions that are maybe a little bit more concise. Does it, does so, that mean you want me to answer it? No, 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 no. You take, you take, our, our form of asking. You, you take your time. I'll just promise. All to the listeners doing, are like, the oh simple. God, does he shut up? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's no. fascinating. It's really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm not just saying that. I, I won't even edit this out. <laughs> um, but no, I, I do have a, a short one. Though. I just, I, I pray your answer is just yes, of course. Uh, were you able to keep? any of the mementos from the tv show and obviously do you have the golden monkey sat on your bookcase uh the answer to both of those is no no so so there's outrageous whenever you whenever you're working on a show like this it's the the props and things are all pretty well actually actually that is wrong i actually do have i have well, I, I do have two things. He stole them. He stole them. That's what you've just committed. Do you have the spray painted gold so milk there was, Yeah, you've got the milk uh, bottle. Within, uh, <laughs> within uh, Mrs. Coulter's flat, yeah. there was, in in a very side place, there was a little, I can't remember the name of, I think it's called selenite. I think it's a, it's a crystal. It's called selenite, I think. If, okay. if there are any crystal okay. people out there, please let me know. I think it's called selenite. <laughs> yeah. And, um, or seleniite or selenite, not selenium. That's... Anyways, mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a very cheap crystal. It grows, you know, fairly quickly in, in lots of places. Yeah. So it's, it's not rare or anything. And they were just, they didn't have space for it. They were clearing out the set. And uh, I found it basically lying on the ground. And I said to one of the props people, I said, is it all right to take this? And they're like, oh, it, it's broken. We're going to throw it out. So I said, well, fine. Can I take it? And they said, yeah, it's fine. Oh, okay. cool. Mm-hmm. So I do have a bit of That's Mrs. Great. Coulter's flat here with me. Excellent. I, uh, I thought you were going to say they had this sofa that they just weren't going to use. So <laughs> that's in my house now. <laughs> yeah, those man, dude, those... Uh, sorry, dude, dude. Uh, bro. Hey, bro. what's up, guys? So that's um, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bro. Um, the, the furniture and things that they use in there are super expensive, and they always get oh, really yeah. weird because I have to jump over them, and sometimes oh, they're yeah. like, sorry, can you just do this one without shoes? And I'm like, yeah, of course, because I know how much money this couch costs, and it's a lot. <laughs> Wow, all right. Uh, but That's often amazing. those things are rented and everything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I do have that. I did. I forgot about that, but I do have that. And I also have from my first week on the job, they kept forgetting to print me scripts, basically. So I have one of Ruth's old scripts hmm. uh, that she just gave to me, and it's got like loads of notes that we put together on Monkey and and Mrs. Coulter. So I like I, that. I keep. Uh, I don't keep cool. a lot of things like that, but um, that yeah. I've kept. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, well, I'm kind of disappointed you don't have a monkey puppet at home, but then also... Now, the reason behind that is because <laughs> even though some of these puppets look quite simple, if you think about how yeah. much time it takes for us to make them, mm. it actually starts adding up cost-wise. 
And sure. also it's technically it, it well, no, it's not technically. I'm not there's no technicalities about it is it is <laughs> Bad Wolf slash HDM slash sure. BBC slash HBO. It's it's their property. So um yes. I would love it at the end if maybe I got to keep it, but I wouldn't be surprised if not. You know, that's fine. Maybe yeah. maybe it will go in a yeah. museum somewhere, you know, when my godly status as a incredible puppeteer goes out <laughs> into the world. Yeah. Well, we we started building it now, so uh, <laughs> we'll let you know when it's finished. And we we also speaking of godly godly artists, on our podcast when we do the TV series watch throughs we each week we gave out a creative and a cast award so for instance a creative award for someone in involved in the production and a cast award to one of the performance we were going to ask you to give one of those but i guess you are both a creative and a cast um, <laughs> member so yeah the question is if you had to give out a creative and or a cast award to someone else who's not involved in your department and who isn't you <laughs> You're a pretty humble guy, so I don't think I'd give it to yourself. Um, but uh, yeah, who who would you want to kind of commend in terms of their work? Yeah, I I, I thought about this. I mean, it's 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 hard boiling. It's hard choosing just one. Yeah. It's really difficult. You don't have to choose just one. Whenever Ian asks me to choose one of anything, I always choose a minimum of five. Oh, Amy so. lists the entire cast minus <laughs> yeah. whoever I nominated. So was... <laughs> if you, you you can go by my rules, which is just name everyone you like. <laughs> well. I've, I, I really tried to think about it and I really tried to think about who, I, I guess what I'm trying to look at is people we work with, sure. so our department, mm. yeah. who really don't get enough credit. And I think I would have to say props fabrication. Mm. So they're in a workshop uh, directly next to ours and the amount of help that they have given us through the last three years, uh, you know, I mean, I'm talking, our budget is always tiny yeah. and sometimes we literally don't, have enough part b mm -hmm. of our foam you know mm -hmm. i mean we you know to order it it will take another three days and we have to wait for the money to come through so we'll just go up to to them and say do you guys have any and they'll be like yes always so the props fabrication is definitely one that deserves credit everything you see on the tv show mm. they make i mean mm. light switches i'm talking wires wow. i'm talking the berries on trees i'm talking everything mm. they, they are incredible and lovely people and so brilliant and just lifesavers in so many ways. And I think they, you know, they, they don't get enough credit, mm. at least not on things like this. You know, they, they don't get shout outs. Mm. It's you know, not what people consider glamorous mm -hmm. and they totally are exactly that. They are gods of, uh, of the world, basically. They build everything. Yeah. I mean, um, they, they made Mrs. Coulter's apartment, which is, you know, the most glamorous thing yeah, you I mean, have. And that goes, you know, that goes into set deck as well yes. and and, um, and just props, the actual props department sure. and, mm. um, and everything, but specifically props fab because we are right next mm. to them and, and um, you know, we're their little next door neighbors yeah <laughs> well that's that's great i mean we we spoke to um i don't know if this is the same team by the way but we spoke to michael um one part of team yeah Science. michael van kesten yes. yeah yeah and uh, oh, i mean him. his work was fantastic yeah. in the show um and yes you can see the care attention thought reading research right. you, i know now that no now that you've said that <laughs> i actually have to give a special shout out to mike as well <laughs> because he basically no, no, he single-handedly got us on our game for 3D printing as well. Oh, and really? he has had so much time for us with modeling and everything else. Mm. He's gotten in trouble for helping us as well. So um, <laughs> totally, Mike is a dude as well. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Great, great. Uh, I mean, dude award, there we go, on the, Everyone on the project, but yeah. Yeah, oh, perfect. Yeah, is there anything else that we've 
not asked you that you want to talk about or anything else you want to mention from series one about your time there? Or a question we should have asked. If you were asking the puppeteer from his Dark Materials a question, <laughs> that's not too circular. What should we be asking? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's hard to imagine because so often when people come and they have no idea what we do, it's just, it's just mind-blowing. Mm. And we kind of take it for granted, but we turn things that people imagine into real things, mm. even when those things are super intangible. So, I don't know. If you're interested in puppeteering, oh, yeah. right, here's a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in puppeteering, you don't have to get expensive puppets. You don't have to do any specific kind of mm-hmm. puppet. Um, you can literally puppeteer with a piece of newspaper. You, I, and I mean mm. that. It's So, get a piece of newspaper, crinkle it up, let it relax, see how it kind of reacts to things, mm-hmm. take a few corners of it, and just start letting it move itself. And what I mean by that is give it little pushes here and there, see how it kind of moves, see if you can make it breathe like there's something under it, see if you can make it find a walk. You know, just mm-hmm. just puppetry is not just having expensive puppets. It's not just having a, a hand and rod puppet, mm-hmm. you know, like a Muppet-style puppet. Mm-hmm. It's, it is literally anything object theater is anything you can bring to life. You can do it with a water bottle. You can do it with an apple, mm-hmm. a brush. These are the things that are on my desk right now. Um, <laughs> oh, what an interesting If you desk. want to play with puppetry, bring, find something and bring it to life. Yeah. It's incredible. And, and try and focus on it. You know, use mindfulness if you want to, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. but focus on it, spend time with it, just play with it. It's, it's such an incredible thing to feel all of a sudden that that one moment where it does something itself and you go, oh, I know I did that, but I didn't do that. It's, yeah, yeah. just play. Oh, what an exciting gift to everyone. Thank yeah, you. That's, that's, that's good great. advice. And a great a great link back to how we, how we started yes. um, this podcast with your introduction to puppetry and yeah. um, how you got into this whole thing. It's absolutely fascinating. I don't know then, just maybe to, to wrap up, is there anything non-Histark materials that you're working on that you want to talk about? <laughs> well, it's been, it's been a difficult year. <laughs> I've had, I think, five jobs nearly go through and then fall through. Course, um, yes. But I know that everyone understands. So everyone out there, don't worry. It's, well, no, worry if you need to worry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough. There is something that I am in talks with right now mm-hmm. but i won't you know be able to say that for a while interesting there's a few other things that are waiting to come out and yeah at the moment we're kind of focusing we're, we're working with college Kamoiz, which is a, a college out in wales mm-hmm. and we're working with screen alliance wales uh, we're kind of building up uh, a community where we're working with cyc so we can start bringing more people in mm-hmm and working with them at a more base level earlier on. And with Screen Alliance Wales, we're trying to incorporate more people, get more people into the industry Mm. who maybe don't uh, know how to get in. Mm -hmm. Those are some really incredible things that we're doing right now that I'd like to give them both shout outs because hopefully it means that the entire industry will be more rich and filled with more exciting people. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's an exciting scene um, over in Wales for all of this. Well, the arts in general. It definitely seems to be having a bit of a, not renaissance, but an explosion of creativity over there. So yes, if you're in yeah. Wales and you're listening, what, what, were those, what were those two initiatives again there? So CYC is a school, Colleague mm-hmm. Kamoy. And Screen Alliance Wales mm. saw for sure. Great. And definitely, if you're if you're in Wales and you're interested in getting into the industry and you don't really know how, go to Screen Alliance Wales's website mm-hmm. and uh, take a look. They're incredible. They're doing really exciting things. We're trying to do more education stuff with them, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's 
it's a really good way to get a foot in basically. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes for yes, the episode perfect. and um, put the details on the website and all that good stuff. Great. So thank you so much for talking to us and for going through all of your amazing work. We've had a great time. Thank you as well for talking to us for a lot longer than planned. But yeah, we had a great time talking to you. Yeah, <laughs> thanks very much. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a great time. It's like, you don't have to thank me. This has been great. It's, it's like, oh, personal contact again. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, so thank you very much. And I think that just about brings us to the end of this episode of the Dark Material Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you're not ready to step back into your own world yet, please visit our website at thedarkmaterialpodcast.com and our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash darkmaterialpodcast. You can also hit us up on your lodestone resonators through Facebook at The Dark Material Podcast, Twitter at Dark Material Pod, and Instagram at The Dark Material Podcast. If you want to cut through to our world directly with questions or comments, we're also available at thedarkmaterialpodcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the Dark Material Podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. It helps other fans of his Dark Materials find the show. A special thanks to Jim and Persaud at Karma Roulette on Instagram and Claire Wicks at Claire underscore Wicks on Twitter for the music on the Dark Material Podcast. We'll see you next time for our normal read-along chapter. And until then, don't forget to tell them stories.